You know, this has been a tough couple of weeks uh, for many of us, for all of us. It's hard to watch those videos of, uh, of race acts that seem to be motivated by racism. There's been so many, one after the other after the other. And I know it's easy for us here in Canada to think, well, that, that's, you know, an American issue. Those things are happening in the United States, and we can feel a little smug about that. We, we don't have that. We don't have the same kind of history, you know, with the North and the South. And so uh, we also had the Underground Railway. I mean, we were helping, saving these people from that kind of racism. But, you know, sometimes I wonder if it's just easy for us to talk about United States problems because then we don't have to talk about our own problems or our own history or the racism that's happening all around us. And as we talk about racism, I don't want to, uh, I don't want you to think that I'm calling you a racist. I mean, many of you who are watching this today, I know you, and I do not think that you are racist. Some of you have have um, people of color in your family, and you have good friends who are people of color, and, and maybe some of you were at the the um, the protest at Manitoba Legislative on Friday night, and you've been raised, you know, to treat everyone as equal, and so I'm not considering any of you to be racist in that sense of the word, but it is not true that this is a simply an American problem, you know, until uh, recently. Um, Many of us probably had not heard of Viola Desmond, the African-American woman who was um, charged with uh, sitting in the white section only in the movie theater uh, back in the day. And so recently she was put on the Canadian $10 bill. But did you know that um, Viola Desmond had to go to beauty school in New York? Because at that time, as an African-American, she was not allowed to train to be a beautician in Halifax, Nova Scotia. And maybe many of you have not heard of the Nova Scotia Home for Colored Children. This is something I just learned about this week. This opened on June 6, 1921, because at the time, white home care institutions would not accept black children in need. This is here in Canada. Or have you heard of Jordan's Principle? Those of you who work in healthcare may be familiar with this, but Jordan's Principle is a principle named after um, in the memory of Jordan River Anderson. He was a First Nation child from Norway House Cree Nation here in Manitoba. And he was born with complex medical needs. He spent two years unnecessarily in hospital, while the province of Manitoba and the federal government argued over who was going to pay for his at-home care. Jordan died in the hospital at five years of old, never spending, after never having spent a day in his own home. And so Jordan's principle is there to make sure that First Nations people have equal access to health care that Caucasian or white people uh, would have. And in 2016, uh, Tribunal noted that this is still not happening. There is unequal treatment happening here uh, in our own province, in our own nation. Just last, Regina, last Monday in Regina, there was an African-American man, Christian uh, Mbanza. I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name, uh, but he was um, filmed and put on Facebook, put on social media, he was getting into his own car, which is parked on the side of the road, and a woman was filming him and saying, this is happening in my neighborhood right now. Everyone, lock your doors. He, had, he was out for a jog and needed to go back to his car to get something, and he uses uh, an app to unlock the door, so it was taking a little bit longer, and then he pulled out his keys and, and got in, and he didn't realize this was even happening until someone told him this was on social media, and he wondered, if I were white, 
would anyone have wondered if something strange was happening or not? And so this is here in Canada. And of course, we're all very familiar with the murdered, um, murdered and missing Indigenous women. The RCMP released a, a national overview uh, recently. And um, between 1980 and 2012, at that time, there were about 1,200 cases of Indigenous women who were missing or murdered. And, and many experts who, sp who spent years studying this issue have called this a cultural genocide. So we have issues here in Canada as well. It doesn't take you very long to find out about these. Since this is uh, graduation time, I, I was particularly moved by this one, um, this one um, act of racism that happened in uh, just 2017 in St. Paul, Alberta. Erica Cardinal uh, was, um, went into town, the, the closest town was St. Paul from her, from her reserve to Giant Tiger to get a t-shirt for her husband and her son so they could attend her daughter's grade 12 graduation. And while they're in there at Giant Tiger, a customer accused her of stealing her cell phone. And so they called the RCMP and shortly they were patted down, handcuffed and put in the back of the police car. She kept saying, we didn't steal a phone, we didn't steal anything. But because of that, uh, finally the, the police officer let them go when later the customer found her cell phone in the store but they missed um, their daughter's graduation because of that. And the daughter said, it's just, um, she said, this day was my graduation day, so it was pretty important to me. But it sucked because I really wished my parents were there. When hearing that they'd been accused of stealing, I thought it was stupid for someone to think that. My parents both raised me, um, my parents both raised me never to steal, and I thank them for raising us with morals and values. My parents deserve an apology because all they were doing was picking up last-minute outfits for grad. Maybe even I should receive an apology because it affected my high school graduation and made it a saddening experience. When the RCMP was, RCMP was pressed for an apology, they replied policemen were simply doing their job. And of course, residential schools is something we're all familiar with. This was very recent in our history, and I know that some of us were upset when we saw at the Mexican-American border many children being separated from their parents, and that made us feel angry and maybe made us feel a little moral, uh, morally superior to uh, Americans. But residential schools was going for 100 years in Canada. Estimates say that 20,000 First Nations, Métis and Inuit children were taken away from their families sometimes without any notice at all, and definitely without the parents' consent. Most of them went to live with non-Indigenous families, and many of them were sent uh, to the United States, and some were even sent to Europe to live in these schools. I mean, unbelievable. We have a racism issue here in Canada, and I'm not saying you're racist. You probably aren't. I don't know of any of you who are. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we need a, a broader definition of racism. I'm not talking about those mean people or individual acts or things like this. I'm talking about something much deeper. And we owe that to ourselves, to our church, and to our community to have a broader, richer, deeper understanding of racism. You know, as a middle-aged white male um, with privilege, it has been difficult for me to understand how I'm complicit in racism here in Canada. 
when I lived in Japan, I experienced racism. Japan's a very homogeneous culture, and I was the white person, and I remember standing in line at the bank and children pointing at me and people wanting to touch my white skin and um, seeing TV shows where white people are, are foreigners, they're gaijin, and they're all characterized kind of the same way. I'm sure that things have changed since we've been there, but, but at the same time, I, I was free. I could just come home whenever I wanted. That wasn't my homeland. I was, I was a visitor. I was an outsider for the time that I was there. And so I'm, but I did experience anger when I felt those kind of stereotypes and racism coming up about white people. And then it made me feel um, uh, defensive. And I, I began thinking how much greater you know, Canada is and the way we do things. We peel potatoes in a better way than you know, they peel potatoes. Or, and it was just not a really good feeling. So I, I understand a little, but there's, it's really hard for me to enter in completely. And so this week I called, uh, I called up a good friend um, a friend of mine, Howard Jolly, who's a First Nations Alliance pastor here in the city. He's also uh, the, the director for First Nations Alliance Churches in Canada. And he went to residential schools as a young boy. And uh, so I asked him, you know, when you see all these news stories um, about Black Lives Matter and, and things happening in the United States, like, what, how do you react or, or what do you feel? And uh, during our conversation, he kept bringing it back to Jesus over and over again. And he would say, well, you know, what would Jesus do in that situation? And you remember Jesus, you know, with the woman at the well and the Samaria, and he wasn't really supposed to be, you know, talking to her. And yet he asked her to, to drink out of her, her jug or vessel. And so uh, he's always, would bring the conversation back to Jesus and how Jesus was always looking out for the outsiders or those on the fringe and, and giving them special attention. And, um, and so, um, you know, I learned a lot from people like that. And, and Howard say he still experiences racism today. Sometimes he, other people get preferential treatment when, he, when he's waiting in line in a restaurant or somewhere else just because of, of the color of his skin. And he knows some one of his friends just took um, someone to the hospitals here who was stabbed. And the people at the ER assumed that it was gang-related, and so they didn't treat him right away. And, but it wasn't gang-related. It was just a random, you know, walk-by stabbing. But there's... There, there's something that we have. It's it's part of our it's part of our system. And so when I mentioned before, I don't I don't believe any of you are, are racist. None of you are are mean, and and you you know better. You've been taught this. But as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, we we know this is anti-Christ. This is anti-gospel. And we need a we owe ourselves. We owe it to those around us to have a, a better, richer, broader understanding of racism. We need to be aware of the structures that are in place to give certain people privilege over others. I'm not talking about those individual actions. And so it's easy for us to look at, at that, that lady in Central Park, Amy, who used her privilege um, or tried to use her privilege. It backfired on her and she ended up losing her dog even because the dog was choking. You can watch those videos uh, online, right? But she's Canadian and she grew up in Ontario and went to the University of Waterloo. And so we need to be aware. She didn't get these ideas on her own. She knew that um, that probably the police would side with her, you know, a single white woman in the park over an African-American man. But where, where does she get these ideas from? It comes from our society and from our educational system and, and from people, from, from just the way society is. And so we need to be aware of this, this our history, this long narrative of which we are a part of. And, and we need to resist it in, in those areas where it is against Christianity, against Jesus' way of, 
of living. Are we aware of this? And so some people would call this a thick definition of racism, whereas the thin definition of racism is what I talked about earlier, where I don't believe any of us are racist in that way, in these individual acts. But a thick definition of racism will help us as a church to respond better. How is our society racialized? And, and how does it shape our lives and, and our communities? And in what ways does does this, the system give advantages to other people? You know, I have a cousin who works with high school students on uh, First Nations uh, reserves in northern Ontario, and I've learned, you know, I, I don't know that much. To our children actually know a lot more than we do because they're learning about this in school. When I grew up, I went to elementary school, residential schools were still happening, and yet I never heard about this at all. This is something I'm learning recently, but our children know so much, so I don't know that much. And so I learn a lot from my cousin who works there. And, and she says, you know, on reserves, I mean, you, you're probably gonna think how stupid I am that I didn't know this before, but you're not allowed to own a home on a reserve. And so um, there, there's no incentive to keep your home up or, or because when, when that tribe gets more money to get new homes, well then they're gonna give it to the neediest people. And so if there's a single mother with, with several children, and then there's also an educated uh, high school teacher, um, she's going to get the new home, and he's going to get the home that is infested with rats and, and is not uh, insulated well. So it, it kind of, the systems that we've developed kind of create this, this like dependency uh, on us. And so there's so many things about this. And the treaties that we established, our Canadian government established, we, we keep changing them, and we're not honoring them. And so the, the First Nations people were honoring these, and, and, so, and then we just changed them. And so, okay, you can live here for a little while, and now we're going to change it. Anyways, there's so, it's, it's endless. And so keep learning more and more and more. And so I've, I've learned a lot from people who know more than I, and I want to encourage you to educate yourselves and to keep learning. We need to have this thick definition of racism and how it's part of our culture, because it is. And we have a long history of racism, especially against indigenous peoples, but also other peoples of race as well. So anyways, I, I would like you to listen to a little bit of Howard Jolly speak. He shared at our district conference um, last year and um, about the Truth and Reconciliation Committee. He spoke for a long time and I've just pulled out a few minutes and I'd like you to hear from his words what he has to say. And so here, listen to Howard for a few minutes. So it's very powerful, it's very, it's very huge. So the idea of mind over matter. Now, when assimilation has been ingrained into your mind, into your thinking, intergenerationally, it is difficult to get it out of your mind. It's very hard to get it out of your head. Uh, things, things that you believe. I, I, I'm working on those things even right now. I still struggle with things because of, of what has been ingrained into me. You know, I, I just, you know, I just hated being First Nation. I used to think white people were better than me. And then I met Ron. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I had this, he's always joking around with everybody, so I thought, <laughs> you, know, you know, like, <laughs> he's gonna get me back probably sometime. But, uh, you know, like, it's, it's just so hard, and, and even today it's hard. Like, you probably hear my voice kind of shaking as I'm talking to you. Yeah, I hear it. But just fear, too, was just huge. I was just taught to fear going to residential school. You know, when, when, when they said I was wrong and I felt I was right, there was nobody to stand up for me. You know, I had to take, I had to take the, uh, the, uh, the punishment, you know. Uh, that, that was, they, they seemed 
to be what would justify my actions, you know. So it was tough. It was tough. Um, so, you know, when, in, the, in the chaos that exists in, in my community, in the Aboriginal community, the chaos, you know, I, I connected to a lot of things that have happened uh, to our people, you know, and, and, and we need to somehow find healing. Uh, the suicides, you know, the, the, the shame-based identity, uh, the violence that's there, the things, the, the, the breakup of the homes, children growing up without parents, the poverty, you know, all those things, uh, the addictions. You know, I, I, I connected to those things. But, but, I, but I know that in order to get out of those things, we need to find healing. And somehow I, I kind of want to feel like, no, this is me talking, okay? This might hurt you what I'm saying. But somehow I feel like the white community feels like they're the ones that are going to help us. They're the ones that hold help in their hands. But I believe if my, if my community is going to heal, it's going to have to come from within the community. And somehow we need to kind of work on, on really empowering, like, um, you know, racism can be so subtle sometimes, you know, and I just want to encourage you to, to realize that, and, and I feel that sometimes, I feel it. I feel like people are talking down to me, you know, and so, and so I, I try to stand up, you know, I try to conquer my fear. And, I, and then I'll say things, you know. But I pray that within the Alliance community that you sense from me, you know, as, as, as a director and, and from people that I work with is, you know, we're, we're trying to be, work together here, you know, in, in connection to uh, ministry to our people. And we're trying to do a partnership, you know. And so... And, uh, and I, I communicate with, uh, with the districts, too, and, and with, uh, with the national office, too, uh, when, when things are, I feel like are not the way that I, I think they should be, you know. But, you know, for the glory of God, I'm praying, and for the good, good of, of all of us, and for the blessing of God uh, to be, be upon us. Huge. I, I, I often say, when I speak to people about um, relating with, with my people, you know, my, my people that are, not, that are rejecting Jesus, sometimes I think it's not Jesus that they're rejecting. It's, it's not Jesus that they're rejecting. It's, it's the Jesus that's been presented to them. You know, it's, it's the way that the church has, has kind of uh, presented Christ or embodied Christ uh, to them. So it's very, very, hu very huge. And uh, uh, boy, like... Um, in residential schools, I, I, I went to residential school as a little boy, and I, uh, when, I, uh, when I first went in, it was kind of like this. The hallway went up, up to, the, up to the, where the dorms are going to be, and you go into the offices over here, and then you go, you go up this hallway, and, and then they take you to your dorm, to where, to where you're going to live. And I remember, you know, uh, a picture is worth a thousand words. You've heard that saying, eh? I remember walking up, and I remember looking on the wall, as I was going up to the dorm, and on the wall it had a picture. And on the picture, uh, there was people on the top and there was people on the bottom. The people on the bottom were in a place that was dark. And you could tell uh, there was fire there, and they were, they were in pain, they were in agony. And all those people were dark. 
But as you go further up the picture, it starts to get bright, and, and on the top of, a, of the picture, it's just like, it's just kind of glorious, and it's just kind of real uh, beautiful and uh, very bright. And there's people there too. And they're all white. They're all white. And so, so those are the kind of things that even the spiritual, spiritual abuse there too. Well, like I said, that was just a, a short snippet of a, a much longer talk that Howard gave. And I'll put the link in the notes and I'll send it to you later this week too in case you wanted to watch the full 60 minutes. It's definitely well worth your time. You know, this whole idea of uh, the, the, the concept of racism, we all know it's evil. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we take a stand against this because it is anti-gospel, it is anti-Christ, it is against everything that we stand for at the core of what we believe. We just celebrated Pentecost and then Ascension, and Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says that, that um, Jesus' words, you will receive the Holy Spirit, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This has always been a part of God's plan to break down any of these ethnic or racial barriers. The gospel is for all people. We see if, as you keep reading through uh, the book of Acts and you come to Acts chapter 8, and we have the first convert, uh, the first Gentile convert to Christianity, who, who like non-Jewish person, is from Ethiopia, an African. The gospel had roots in Africa long before it ever made its way to Europe and to, to the white people. This has been God's plan all along for all people to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. In Revelation chapter 7, we have this picture uh, when the kingdom has come in all its fullness. And, and he writes, John writes, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. This is the vision. This is God's vision. This is our vision. This is not where people have been assimilated and now we all speak the same language and we all look the same and we're all the same color. Every different, the differences are kept. There's every language. There's, there's every people group. There's every tribe. And people may look different, but that is where the beauty comes in. There's this diversity. And so this is all, this has always been God's plan. So Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. I mean, we could use uh, Mark or Luke or John or Acts or Ephesians or any part or, of the Bible, and we can see that this has always been God's plan for the full inclusion of all peoples. And so just for an example, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, just before, um, before Jesus ascends, he says to um, go, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. All nations. This is not just something that Matthew just tacked on at the end. Oh, just before I leave, I just want to, you know, say, yeah, all nations. If you look at the entire book of Matthew, you're going to see this, this has been a common theme all throughout. You remember um, in the genealogy of Matthew, right at the very beginning, we've talked about this at Christmas time, there are four women. I mean, that's unheard of. I mean, I think probably these days we would include women in genealogies, but not back then. It was usually just men. But Matthew includes women, not just women. He includes these four women who were either Gentile, they were outsiders, or they had close association uh, with these Gentiles. So this 
beginning all the way to the end, we see all nations. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. From way back, God was planning for these barriers to be broken down. Matthew chapter 2, we have King Herod killing uh, all the male children, someone who you know, should know better. And then, in, uh, it, it's kind of in parallel uh, to that, we have Magi, uh, these foreigners, these Gentiles coming from the east. And three times the scriptures that are coming to worship the king of the Jews. Then in Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist is, tells you, you know, don't boast in your Jewish heritage just because you, Abraham is your father, because he says God can make stones become uh, children of Abraham. In Matthew chapter 8, I'm even skipping some examples. I'm just kind of working through giving you some. Jesus Christ heals. In Matthew chapter 8, Jesus Christ heals a Gentile centurion servant. And then he praises his faith, a Gentile, a non-Jew. Always, we can see all throughout the gospel. Matthew chapter 11, uh, verse 20, Jesus began to uh, denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. And so he says, Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for the miracles that were, perform were performed in you had, if they had been performed, uh, the miracles, if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, um, they would have repented long ago. Like they are far better off than you are. He says, I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Matthew chapter 15, the Canaanite woman was commended for her faith and she was persistent and God rewarded. Jesus granted her request. Matthew tw chapter 24 verse 14 says, the gospel must be preached to the ends of the earth and then the end, uh, to, to all nations, to all peoples, and then the end will come. And then Matthew chapter 28 we just looked at earlier, all nations. This is at the heart of the gospel. This is at the heart of who God is. Racial reconciliation. There are no boundaries. And this is not meaning there are no differences. It doesn't mean that, that we're colorblind. The differences are there and they're beautiful. And we need to, um, we need to, to remember that. Um, favoritism of one ethnicity over another, giving privilege to one ethnicity over another is anti-Jesus. Look at James chapter 2. Here's Jesus' brother saying this, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord, you must not show favoritism. And then he gives an example. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes. And a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. So just imagine, okay, this scenario. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, Oh, here's a good seat for you. But you say to the poor man, You stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. This is what he says. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? This sort of favoritism has no place in the church, has no place within our faith. But you know, all along, there has always been opposition. Right from the very beginning of creation, through the whole story, people have, have tried to resist this kind of inclusion. And they have always wanted to exclude others. For example, Jonah. Do you remember the story uh, of, of Jonah and God was calling him to go to Nineveh, but he did not want to. He wanted Nineveh to perish. And it says, you know, in the end, obviously, you're familiar with the story. Uh, he did go preach and they repented and God saved them. He says, Jonah says, this is why I didn't want to do that, because I know that you're compassionate and you're gracious and that you would save them if they repented. I didn't want that. And we see even in the New Testament, Peter, one of the the early leaders of the church, 
when God revealed to him that the Gentiles are to be included in everything, then he includes them. But then, uh, when he starts getting a little bit of criticism and he's afraid of some of his other fellow believers, then he, he pulls back. And we read about that in Galatians chapter 2. It says, there are certain men that came from James, um, but before, before certain men came from James, Peter used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. So there's always been this opposition, this resistance, but all throughout scripture, there are so many examples of God wanting all nations to come to know him. And so when this came to a head in Acts, when, when they're trying to figure out the Gentiles and Jews and how do we do this all together, it's not like this was brand new. They just hadn't realized it. It's been all through scripture. There's always room for the foreigner. There's always room for the outsider. And people resisted it. And so finally it came to head in Acts and then they realized, yes, the Holy Spirit has been given to all people. And there is no room for discrimination, no room for favoritism, no room for these, 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 these boundaries. So this is anti-gospel, any sort of racial discrimination, any kind of racism. And again, I'm not saying you are racist, although maybe you are. And if I were totally honest, I think I remember some thoughts I've had sometimes. Or when I've, I've mentioned things, I thought maybe that was... I was probably saying that about that person because of the color of their skin. And so, you know, I'm, I've repented of that and I'm very sorry. But this isn't what we're talking about. We're talking about a broader definition of race, uh, of racism, that we need to be aware of, we need to educate ourselves. We have many of us, I mean, some of you are part of a minority group, but many of us are not. And we have privilege, whether you realize it or not. White people have privilege here in, in Canada. And uh, it's been said that uh, the white race is very fragile. We don't, we don't like to hear things like this. We don't want to be held accountable for things. We get very defensive. And when people say black lives matter, we're like, no, no, all lives matter. We don't get it. We don't understand how, of course, all lives matter. No one's saying that all lives don't matter. But at this point in history, when more black people are being killed by policemen or more black people are, are incarcerated, then now we need to say black lives matter. It's kind of like if people are, are on the streets parading for the rights of unborn children, right? Unborn children, unborn babies have rights too. Yes, they do. But I'm not going to come up beside you and say, no, 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 all people have rights. That's not the point. Or if we say, you know, save the rainforests. Yes, save the rainforest. I'm not saying don't save all the forests. Save all the forests. But at this time in history, we need to focus on all those thousands of species that are, are becoming distinct in, uh, extinct in the rainforest. So we're not saying all lives don't matter. But at this point in history, especially in Canada, we need to focus on this as a church. We have privilege. And so the Apostle Paul, I mean, so how do we use this? How do we come to recognize that we have this privilege. The Apostle Paul also had a special privilege. Many times in the New Testament it's pointed out that he was a Roman citizen and so certain uh, privileges, certain rights, privileges came along with that. And one time Paul was accused of, um, of bringing a Gentile into uh, the part of the temple where Gentiles aren't supposed to go. There was a boundary, you know, and so he was arrested and he was, he was tied up ready to be flogged ready to be whipped. And he said to the centurion, he said, um, is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen, you know, who is, who is uncondemned? 
And then the centurion, he uh, said, well, well, you're a Roman citizen? I, mean, I had to pay a lot of money for my citizenship. And Paul said, no, I didn't pay for it. I was born a Roman citizen. And so Paul uses his, the, the privilege that he has in many times to be able to cross these borders that maybe someone only like Paul could do. There's another time where he and Silas were, were thrown in prison. And then when they realized, oh, he's a Roman citizen and we can't do that until he's been you know, tried, they said, okay, just let him go. And Paul said, no, 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 you come and bring, parade me, you know, bring me back. This is in uh, Acts chapter 26, I believe. The first one was Acts chapter uh, 21 and 22. And so we see that Paul's not afraid to use his privilege to further advance the gospel, which is a gospel of inclusion. And back in Paul's day, the, the issue wasn't, you know, blacks or whites or, or any other. It was Jews and Gentiles. And so he knew the gospel was for all people. And so this is really anti-Christian. Now, how do we use our privilege? What can we do? So I, understanding that, um, first of all, uh, I've, got a, I've got a few points that I want you to consider. And this is for all of us as a community here at Cornerstone Alliance Church. Uh, it's no longer good enough for us to be simply not racist. I'm not racist. Fine, you're not racist. We need to be anti-racist because it has been part of our culture for so long. And if we remain silent or complicit, it's not good enough. And so we need to be anti-racist. My friend Howard shared with me some, some examples that happened to him just recently. And he said, you know what hurts more? Well, it hurts more than, than the person who is um, being racist to me is, is the people over here who are watching it happen and don't do anything and don't speak up. You know, it's often the same with, with um, sexual abuse victims. They think, yeah, that, that was awful what happened, but you know what was even worse? People knew it was happening and did nothing about it. And so we need to speak up. It's no longer good to be simply not racist. We need to be anti-racist because this is diametrically opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So speak up, say something. Don't let things happen in front of you. We also need to focus on our actions. Our, our intent, you know, we say, well, I, I didn't intend that, or I was well-meaning in what I said or did. That's no longer uh, good enough. I bet you've had this experience, because I have, where I've, I've said, made a comment, or, or I've done something, and it was received as a racist remark. But I didn't mean that. So I felt justified. Well, I didn't mean it. It's not my fault that they took it that way. Yes, it is. When you're coming from a point of privilege, when you're coming from a place of power, you need to be aware of how your actions are coming across. We need to learn what words that we say and we don't say. So it's not just your intent. You need to be aware of how things come across. And so let's learn more about this history. If you're my age or a little bit older, you didn't learn much about this growing up. And so I'm going to, um, later today, I'm going to release a book list, a reading list. And if even one of you would join me on this journey to learn more about our past, then I think we will change um, our community big time. And so I know many of you will not want to do this, but if, if some of you, if one of you even, this is a book list that was recommended by Howard Jolly. I began, I read one out of uh, the several books and called An Inconvenient Indian, and I've purchased another one. And then let's, let's learn. So let's learn. The other thing that uh, we need to speak up. Okay, we need to be vocal. And so I know that some of you aren't going to like what I'm about to say, but some of you are not on social media. Why not? 
what are you afraid of? You know, in, in Paul's day, the, the gathering place where everyone met was the synagogues. They, they learned new ideas and they were there to, to dialogue and discuss and learn. And so, so they went to the synagogue. This is where the people are meeting. Where are people meeting today? Online, on Facebook, on Instagram, on social media, every single night of the week. Majority of people are gathering in these places. And we are picking up vibes. We are learning uh, things, cultures, morals, values. This is where everything is being formed. And so if you're not on social media, I, this is a crazy thing to say. I hope I don't, don't have to go back and erase this later, but why don't you try it? Get your voice out there. We want to go where people are gathering. We want to go where the people are. Even if it's, if it's for the sake of the gospel, we go where the lost are. And this is where they are gathering. And so get your voice out there. Speak up. This is probably not, it's not always the best place to get into um, heated emotional arguments, but it is a place for you to say, here's what I believe and here's what I think and put that out there. So get, get your word out there. We also need to be humble. Part of us being uh, those of us who are uh, white, we're, we're fragile because we've grown up uh, in a place of privilege. We have very rarely been in the minority group. And so it's hard for us to be humble. It's hard for us to listen. And when people share experiences, we might think, oh, you're just exaggerating or it was, no one ever thought that way. But we, we can easily disregard comments from our colored friends. Don't do that. Enter into the conversation and say, Can you tell me more. I, I need to learn from you. Often we have this idea where we can teach you because, because we are the people that know better. So stop the attitude. Love is humble, right? Christ was humble. Humility is one of the marks of the Holy Spirit, one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. So put that aside and let's approach this with humility. I recognize today that many of you probably know more about racism than I do. And so I relied on the reports from the Truth and Reconciliation Committee. I re relied on reliable sources and some of my friends who are um, more in the know and those of color. And so let's keep learning with humility. This is a serious problem. You know, it's funny, I, um, one of the memes that went out uh, this week, I thought really kind of hits, hits home. And it was um, a picture of the, the father in the prodigal son story. And, uh, um, you know, the prodigal son was basically wanted his father dead and took his inheritance, ran away and, and lost it all, where the good, obedient older brother, you know, stayed at home. And so the older, the, the father is waiting with open arms, right? And he's holding up this sign with hashtag, hashtag prodigal sons matter. But the older brother did not like that. And so he made a sign, hashtag, all sons matter. And his father said, yes, all sons matter, but it's not about you right now. Right now, my son is lost. And when he comes back, we're going to have a party for him. But the older brother did not like that. Right now, our nation is hurting. We are hurting because of our past. We need to recognize that. We need to say that, yes, we have been complicit in this, in, in the way our system, we have not spoken up when we should have. We need to be humble. We need to be willing to learn. And this is not just a sociological issue. This is a gospel issue. This is about us being faithful followers of Jesus Christ, who died for all people. And we have that vision that we earlier in Revelation of all peoples, all nations, all languages coming together to celebrate and to honor the Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Let me pray, and then uh, we'll move on from that. Sorry. Heavenly Father, thank you for, for your love for all people. Thank you for the diversity. I thank you that um, we can learn so much more from our brothers and sisters. I pray that you'd help us to continue learning more. And Lord, will you, will you guide us into the future? Will you help us to make this a better place, a little bit of a taste of heaven? Can we celebrate all the different cultures? Can we live side by side? Will you empower us to do that? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.